All righty. Well, welcome this evening. It's good to be with you all here. This is so exciting, and I mean, it's just like so much more full of life, and I can just feel the energy in here, having people in here. It's much, it's much nicer than preaching to an empty room, I'll tell you that. <laughs> so welcome, everybody, and welcome to our viewers joining us online. We're so glad that you're joining us. And this is our first in-person, in-the-sanctuary service um, that we're doing here. We're recording it. And so this is Thursday night, um, and we're going to stream it at uh, 10 a.m. So thank you for joining in, tuning in there. Uh, before I dive into the message this morning, just want to just highlight for you guys, if you pick, picked up your uh, bulletin, you'll notice on the front there, uh, Commitment Sunday. And so this is the time of year where we redo our budget and we just take a look at um, all the ways that God has been working in and through uh, KCC. And it's about us coming again together and saying, yes, we're on board with the mission of the local church. And, and just the things that KCC is a part of. It's, this is God's mission locally, and it's God's mission abroad as we partner with people um, locally and abroad um, through missions work. Um, and locally, just through the work of the local church. And so uh, we just ask that you just be in prayer about this individually and as a family, just praying over how God is calling you uh, to surrender uh, more of your heart to him. And we know that finances can be a sticky point with us, and, and God calls us to trust in him uh, with our finances, and man, he's going to be faithful. And so also he calls us to trust in him uh, that he has given us uh, time here on earth, and he's given us talents uh, to use as well, and not only just treasures. And so um, as we're praying and, and thinking over, okay, God, how are you calling me to trust you more with my finances? We're also praying, God, how can I steward the gifts that you've given me? And uh, what, what are maybe some ways that you're calling me to get involved? And we want, we want to hear from you on that. Um, or, or maybe it's something you, you just start uh, on your own. Maybe it's part of KCC. Maybe it's something locally. Um, but we just ask you to be in prayer about that, how, how God might be calling us to use our time, talents, and treasures. So we'll be talking a little bit more about that next week as well. So we've been going through uh, Mark since March of this year, and we are coming towards the end of Mark's gospel account. Uh, and unbelievably, unbelievably, if you've never heard the gospel, gospel before in your life, unbelievably, Jesus is on trial. <laughs> and if, you know, we all know, okay, yeah, we know the story. He's on trial. But seriously, in Mark chapter 1, verse 1, he, he began writing his gospel account. He says, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Mark then unfolds for us the story of Jesus, the story that the time is now, the kingdom of God is at hand. And in Jesus, we see revealed the true Messiah, the Son of God. The one who is beyond time, who's beyond culture, beyond the bounds and of this world, and he enters in. He enters into time, he enters into culture, and he challenges and he changes the course of history. He was so radical in his love and compassion and so authoritative in his teaching that he left no one unaffected by him. No infirmity or sickness was too much for him. No unclean spirit could withstand him. No element was beyond him. When he spoke to creation, it obeyed him, for he is the author of life. And with a word, he commanded the winds and the wave to cease, and they obeyed him. 
The people loved and adored him, as we read throughout Mark's gospel account. But the powers of this world could not accept him, for he challenged their authority, and they did not want to submit anything to him. So most religious leaders hated him and rejected him, for they were often the target of his scorn. They had the habit in their extra-biblical writings of adding to and changing the law of God, making laws that were convenient for them, like uh, to not have to financially care for your aging parents by saying, well, you gave the God to money instead. It's Corbin. It's, it's good. You don't have to give it to your parents and care for them. And not having to take responsibility in marriage, allowing for uh, what modern day would be for us no-fault divorce, whereby putting a religious stamp of approval for skirting two of the Ten Commandments. Honor your father and mother, and do not commit adultery. Women and the elderly were, were left to fend for themselves at the financial whims of able-bodied men who abandoned them. And Jesus took issue with religious leaders giving a religious stamp of approval on sin. So he called them out, and they in turn plotted his downfall and his death. It is unbelievable. The author of life, the great physician, the good teacher, they plotted his death. However, they were wildly unsuccessful at every single attempt to bring him down until he finally allowed himself to be handed over. And that is where we've come to through Mark chapter 14. So we're opening up to Mark chapter 15 today. We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 15. So if you've got your Bibles, pull them out, open up to Mark chapter 15. If you've got your devices, open them up. We'll be uh, looking at verses 1 to 15 today. And we find that the author of life is on trial, and what was strictly a Jewish theological dispute has now become an empire issue, with the world power of the Roman Empire stepping onto the stage through Pontius Pilate. Picking up here in Mark 15, verse 1, and as soon as it was morning, the chief priest held a consultation with the elders and scribes and the whole council. So it's early Friday morning, and interestingly, the Greek word here for morning is actually also the technical term uh, the Romans used for the fourth watch of the night. So it's also translated as at dawn, or between 3 a.m. and 5 a.m. would be about the time. So this is the exact term used by Jesus in Mark chapter 13, where speaking of his return, uh, he says in Mark 13, verse 35, he says, Therefore stay awake, for you do not know when the master of the house will come, in the evening, or at midnight, or when the rooster crows, here we go, or in the morning, which is the fourth watch. And seeing this here, we can go back to chapter 14 and see the other three watches of the night. Beginning with the first watch in Mark 14, 17, we read, in the evening. There it is. First watch. He reclined at the table with his disciples and said, very truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. One of you who is eating with me. And then the second watch is in Mark 14, 41, when Jesus uh, 
came the third time to Peter, James, and John, who were sleeping on the job. Uh, he's coming, checking with them on the hour. So this is the second watch in the middle of the night. And he said to them, are you still sleeping and taking your rest? It is enough. The hour has come. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. And then finally, the last verse in Mark 14, Mark 14, 72. And immediately the rooster crowed a second time. And Peter remembered how Jesus had said to him, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And he broke down and he wept. So this is the third watch. And as Jesus says in Mark 13, 35, remember, in the evening or at midnight or when the rooster crows. That's three. Exactly demonstrated here with the rooster crowing. And then the fourth watch in the morning. So Mark in his brilliance and, and the divine inspiration from the Holy Spirit ties together and contrasts perfectly the four watches of the night in chapter 13 and 14. In chapter 13, Jesus is calling us to remain spiritually awake, spiritually alert for his coming again. Not as his disciples were at his departure, where we see at each watch our Lord was first betrayed, then abandoned, then denied, and now we'll see he's unjustly sentenced to death by crucifixion. So Jesus has been uh, interrogated, he's been beaten, he's been spat upon and denied throughout the night with no rest, and now the sun is rising, and the chief priests get together with the elders and the scribes and the whole council early in the morning, and they bound Jesus and led him away and delivered him over to Pilate. So What's happening here? Why are these, these guys getting together and, and deliberating and delivering Jesus over to Pilate? Well, at this time, Pilate was the Roman governor of the region of Judea. So he represented, as we would understand it, essentially the federal government. While the Jewish state still had some autonomy with their own internal affairs, uh, the Roman government was the ultimate authority, as the federal government would be for us. So the Sanhedrin were the Jewish court, but they did not have the authority to carry out capital punishment. Only Pilate did. So after deliberating, they delivered Jesus over to Pilate and told Pilate not that Jesus claimed to be God incarnate, for if you missed last week, that's exactly what happened when asked point blank by the high priest, are you the Christ, the son of the blessed? Jesus said, I am. I am. Ego Amy, the Greek translation of the name of God, Yahweh, the name of the Most High, the great I am. This is the highest Christological claim he could possibly make, claiming to equally share in the divine nature of the blessed. But he isn't done yet. He then identifies himself as the one seen by Daniel in Daniel chapter 7 by saying, and you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. And remember, when he said this, the high priest tore his garments from last week and said, what further witness do we need? You have heard his blasphemy. What is your decision? And they all condemned him as deserving death. So they condemned him as deserving death. And now they're delivering him to Pilate to carry it out. But they couldn't say he blasphemed and broke Roman law because that was not a capital crime. So they had to come up with another strategy. So they decided on saying that he claims to be the king of the Jews, 
which in essence is the messianic claim, and yet they put a spin on it to, to imply that he desired to lead a rebellion and challenge the power of Rome in Judea. And we see they told Pilate this, for in verse 2 of chapter 15 we read, And Pilate asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? And he, Jesus, answered him, You have said so. Classic Jesus. Answering in the most true way possible, in the fewest words possible. <laughs> you have said so. So wait, are you saying, yes, you are Jesus? Or, or has Pilate's accusing you of being the king of the Jews made you king of the Jews? In essence, he is saying, I'm being condemned for the very fact that I am the king of the Jews. Whether mockery or not, it was his sentencing. A sentencing of insurrection. The very thing Jesus refused to do. For as he says, my kingdom is not of this world. My kingdom is not of this world. So he's not leading a rebellion. He was actually leading a spiritual invasion. The kingdom of heaven invading the kingdom of earth. But it would cost him his life as the king in order to establish this new and eternal heavenly kingdom joining the, the new earth, which will eventually come to be but it meant he had to take on the iniquity of us all, and he bore it unto death, that the old and the dead would be swallowed up in the new life of the resurrection. This moment before Pilate was the beachhead of the invasion, and that ground is about to be firmly taken on the cross, spiritually speaking. So all this to say, the accusation of kingship is far more true than anybody present had eyes to see. So we read on in verse 3 of Mark 15, and the chief priest accused him of many things. And Pilate again asked him, have you no answer to make? See how many charges they bring against you. But Jesus made no further answer, so that Pilate was amazed. The king went silently as a lamb to the slaughter, for Pilate was only there by God's sovereignty, and he is not the ultimate judge. God is the ultimate judge. And this was, was the plan all along. So Jesus, in accordance to and in fulfillment of Scripture, as in Isaiah 53, he went as a sheep before its shearers silently. Verse 6. Now, at the feast, he, speaking of Pilate, used to, release, used to release for them one prisoner for whom they asked. And among the rebels in prison who had committed murder in the insurrection, there was a man called Barabbas. And this is interesting because remember in the garden when Jesus prayed, uh, Abba, Father. Abba in Aramaic means father and Bar means son of. So Barabbas means son of the father. So keep that in mind as we, we read through this passage. Verse 8, and the crowd came up and began to ask Pilate to do as he usually did for them. And he answered them saying, do you want me to release for you, the king of the Jews. Verse 10. For he perceived that it, was not, that it was out of envy that the chief priests had delivered him up. But the chief priests stirred up the crowd to have him release for them Barabbas instead. So the people chose the revolutionist over Jesus. Because in our arrogance, we think if we just had the power, we'd make everything right. If we just had the power, just, just give us the power and we will be just. But instead, we see time and time again, historically, how power corrupts. It just does. 
So to seek after it is a fool's errand, which is why Jesus says, if you want to be a leader in my kingdom, you must become servant of all. You must become servant of all. And then he just drops the mic. <laughs> that, that's the Jesus model. That's the Jesus model. You want to change your world for Christ? Take on his nature. Become a servant. Love as he's loved. Pray for others. Put their interests before your own. That is the model that Christ gives us. Sometimes we want blood, though. Sometimes we want blood. Sometimes we want Barabbas. Give me the sword. But that's, that's our finite thinking taking over. We, we need to think biblically. We need to think eternally. And eternal thinking led Jesus to be silent before his accusers. For he was intent on bearing the full weight of their and our sin on the cross. So that when we put our faith in him and not the sword, we are shown wise as those who hope in things that are eternal and not temporal. Verse 12, And Pilate again said to them, Then what shall I do with the man you call king of the Jews? And they cried out again and again, Crucify him! Crucify him! Crucify him! And Pilate said to them, Why? <laughs> what evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, Crucify him! Crucify him! Crucify him! So Pilate, wishing to satisfy the crowd, released for them Barabbas. He released the rebellious and murderous son of the father as the true son of the father took his place on the cross. And that is what Jesus has done for all of us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. While we were yet held, held captive and ready to be led to death, for our just punishment, for our iniquity, the king intercedes and takes our punishment upon himself, becoming the substitution, so that we can go free as Barabbas did, but not just temporarily, eternally. He allowed it to be carried out for that purpose. And the passage ends with this. And having scourged Jesus, Pilate delivered him to be crucified. So scourging is a Roman judicial punishment that was this severe beating with the cat of nine tails, that, that leather whip that was, had metal and bone and glass tied into it to tear the flesh off of rebels and criminals. So after subjecting Jesus to this horrible punishment, he delivered him over to the unthinkable to be crucified. And the disciples were scattered. The very thing that Jesus warned his disciples about time and time again is coming to pass. And they are in shock for they did not believe it would actually happen. And yet, here is their master, their Messiah, condemned to death. And they're left wondering, how did it come to this? How did it come to this? How could this man who commanded the wind and the waves to obey him, Allow himself to be captured and sentenced to death. Something's not right. And as readers, it should cue us back to Mark chapter 8, to the very first time that Jesus told his disciples what is to happen to him when he says in Mark 8 that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. And he said this plainly. 
And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. So, see, Peter wanted Jesus to take the easy way out for, for the quick and the temporary gain. But Jesus has eternal things in mind. And Jesus loves us too much to take the easy way out. Verse 34 of Mark chapter 8 says, And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, Jesus said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Don't turn me away from this, Peter. Follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. So he is dying in humiliation on the cross, stripped beaten, his flesh torn open, but he is coming again in glory, as he says here in chapter 8, and again to the Sanhedrin in chapter 14, where he says to them, you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of the power and coming with the clouds of heaven. The cross, contrary to all appearances, is not Jesus losing. It is Jesus losing his life for our sake, and through that, saving us, and also through that, himself being exalted by the Father. From the third day, he rose again and ascended into heaven. And on that day, you will see him seated at the right hand of the power and coming with the clouds of heaven. So by, so by no means is Jesus losing. And by no means do we lose when we deny ourselves and take up our cross and follow him. We gain our very soul. For as Jesus says, what does it profit a man? To gain the whole world and forfeit his soul. If you're coming after Jesus, he's calling you to drop everything else you think defines you, that you think will bring you temporary happiness, temporary release, temporary comfort. Let it go and trust in Christ, and you will find rest for your very soul. But what's the temptation? Why is this so difficult? The temptation is to satisfy the crowd. Mark 15, 15. So Pilate, wishing to satisfy the crowd, released for them Barabbas. Wishing to satisfy the crowd, he sold out the truth. Wow. This is a problem with us. We have whole algorithms that have been developed to satisfy the crowd. You know that? Social media outlets write algorithms to satisfy us. Not to share the truth, but to make money, to get more clicks, to get more likes, to get more interaction from you, to give your mind more hits of, of that naturally occurring drug, dopamine. Uh, you know, that, that when you win Candy Crush, man, you get a hit, hit of dopamine. If someone likes your post, you know, you get a hit. You know, it's, it, your, your video gets a tons, tons of views, man. You get a hit of dopamine. And it just causes this, this spiral that happens within us to try to get more and more and more. So tech companies get grossly rich from exploiting, exploiting our, our baser human tendencies to satisfy the crowd. 
and it drives us into an ever-increasing uh, attempts to, to satisfy the crowd with frequency and intensity. We want to be louder, showier, get the attention. It's what drives the sex industry today. It's what drives politics. It's what drives marketing. It's what drives products wishing to satisfy the crowd. It's what caused Pilate to sell out the truth and accept the lie. That getting a lot of likes means what he did was right and righteous. And it's easy to point fingers at others. But what about in our own lives? And this is where the Bible really leans in. And it makes us uncomfortable because we prefer to be the Monday morning quarterbacks, right? The, the expert critics to kind of sit back and, and kind of just point out what everything's wrong that's going on out there. But what the Bible does, what God's word does to us is it highlights the human condition. And it holds up a mirror to us so we see just how ugly the tendencies in our own hearts are when they are given their full vent. When we give ourselves over to our baser instincts, when we desire the acceptance and applause of others, we can get ourselves into a lot of trouble. And we see it so clearly demonstrated in the disciples when they failed during the four watches of the night. First they betrayed, then they abandoned, then they denied, and then they doubted his word. And we see four lessons in these watches of the night. First, where Judas betrayed Jesus and sold him for a prophet. We are called to remain faithful, even if it costs us our livelihood. Second, where the disciples fled from Jesus when it was no longer socially acceptable to be found with him, we are called to remain faithful, even if it costs us our reputation. Third, where Peter denied knowing Jesus three times when it became apparent that the courts and the law were involved, we are called to remain faithful, never denying Jesus, even if it means we're put on trial. And now fourth, where Jesus stands before Pilate with no supporters to be found and being mocked by the Romans, calling him the king of the Jews, we are called to worship him as the true king, even if it costs us our life. In light of our humanity being put on display in this account, it's good for us to check ourselves. How have we conceded convictions to satisfy the crowd? conceded the truth for a lie. And keep in mind, this crowd was not the population at large. It was a select crowd that was present before Pilate and yelled the loudest, that had the strongest conviction, that had enough influence to make Pilate's life difficult if he stood for true justice, not his convenient malpractice. Pilate feared the crowd more than he feared Christ. And he chose the path of least resistance over truth and justice. The deception of this moment is that it appears as if Pilate has all the power. But we now see with clarity that the power did not rest with Pilate at all or the crowd. But we now see that the power rested with Jesus. All the power rested with Jesus. Even in this moment, while he was silent before Pilate, all the power rested with him. T -t Today, it might appear as if the crowds have all the power. It might appear as if the politicians, the authorities 
have all the power. But let me assure you, before you begin to make concessions of faith, choosing this world and this culture over that of Christ, remember this, though he remains silent before Pilate, all the power, all the authority in heaven and on earth and under the earth has been given to Jesus. All the power rests with Jesus. He is on the throne, seated at the right hand of the power, and he is coming again in glory and with the clouds of heaven. So I want to end with this, 2 Timothy 3, where Paul is writing to his beloved mentee, Timothy, and listen and see if this resonates with our culture today. When we think about how Pilate wanted to satisfy the crowd. Does this resonate today? Paul writes to Timothy, he says, But understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. Avoid such people, for among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women, burdened with sins and led astray by various passions, always learning and never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth. Just as uh, Janus and Jambres opposed Moses, so these men also oppose the truth. Men corrupted in mind and disqualified regarding the faith. But they will not get very far, for their folly will be plain to all, as was that of those two men. You, however, you, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and Lystra which persecutions I endured. Yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. While evil people and impostors will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Amen? Amen. So may we be those who rest in Christ, who remain in him, and who remain awake. All watches of the night, spiritually awake, ready and watching and remaining steadfast in him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we praise you and we thank you for your word that we can trust in it. That is, it is the unshifting, unshakable word of God. That when, when all culture, the winds of culture shift and, and go to and fro, God, we are unshaken because of who you are. So Lord, may we be a people who seek not to satisfy the crowd, but seek to satisfy you, Lord. For we know the plans that you have for us, God. We know the plans of resurrection and of life everlasting with you.
The glory is untold of heaven. So God, may we place our hopes in that. May we invest in that. May our conversations and our interactions, the way we treat one another, point towards that. Give us your grace. Give us your mercy. Give us your love. And may we take on your likeness and share that with others. It's in Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen.